listening, we're moving into, believe it or not, a Christmas series. Are you ready for that? Oh my goodness, it, it has come up so quick, and I love Christmas, I can't wait, we're going to have some fun things going on. I'm, and just in case you're wondering, just wondering to, uh, about Christmas and it falling on a Sunday this, this year, anyone noticed that Christmas is on a Sunday? Um, now you know. Um, and you might be thinking, well, what's going to happen with church? Um, so you can plan ahead, because I know some of you are planners. Um, we're actually not going to hold a service Christmas Sunday morning. Uh, we're going to have a Christmas Eve service that Saturday on the 24th. Uh, we're going to pack this place out. We're going to celebrate. We're going to have a ton of fun together. And then Sunday morning, Christmas morning, uh, we're going to be with our families and our homes um, and, and honor the Lord that way. And uh, as we get closer, we'll actually have uh, some instructions for you that go along with Advent to help you celebrate the Lord and honor the Lord that morning. Uh, but Sunday, Christmas Sunday, there will no, be no service here. Um, quite frankly, I just want to be home with my kids as well. Plus, I love opening presents, right? And I remember going to church as a kid on Sunday morning, and, and all I could think about was, when are we going to go home so I can open my gifts? And, and I did think about Jesus as well, because, you know. <laughs> so we've been talking about our core values here at Thrive Church. Uh, as, we, as we just recently, for those of you who are, are newer, you might not know that our, our church name just recently changed. Uh, back in July, our Foursquare International Board approved a name change, and we are now Thrive Church. And as such, we've been talking about our vision and our, our mission and our values. Our vision statement is this, uh, helping people thrive in Christ. Helping people thrive in Christ. That is what our vision is. That's what we see God doing in our church uh, not just today, not just next year, but for years and years and, and decades to come uh, until he changes uh, whatever, until he comes back or, or things change here at this church. But for the foreseeable future, that's our vision. We want to help people thrive in Christ. And of course, as always, the key there are those two words, in Christ. See, we're not just about helping people thrive. You can go to Barnes & Noble and get a self-help book that will tell you it can help you thrive. For us, the difference is Jesus Christ. He makes all the difference, and as we even sang about this morning, all our hope is in Him. He's the one who causes us to thrive. Our mission statement, then, is helping people thrive in Christ by knowing God, growing as disciples, serving like Jesus, and going into all the world to reach others. Knowing, growing, serving, going. So our vision, helping people thrive in Christ. Our mission, those four words, knowing, growing, serving, going. And that's how we go about accomplishing our mission. Our values, though, our values is, 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 our, is how we do church. It's our guiding principle. Our, our core values help us make decisions and help us function, to function together as a church family. It's the agreements that we have as a church family that says, this is, this is how we do this thing called church together. Our core values, the ones that we've covered thus far, in fact, we'll put them up on the screen. God first, people matter, love does, grace extended, bring your best, live in community, ministering team, and commit to growth. Last week, we talked about live in community. And by the way, if you've missed any of these messages, they're available on the, on the church website at thriveglendora.org. 
uh, you, can, you can listen to them there, and I encourage you to do so if you have missed any of these. But this morning, I want to talk about the next core value, which is this, minister in team. Minister in team. Here's the statement that goes along with it. It's this, two are better than one. We minister in team to grow people, build relationships for greater effectiveness, to develop accountability and accomplish God's plans together. To accomplish God's plans together. Um, as I've mentioned before, I, I didn't grow up in the U.S. Um, and my first trip to this country was in 1980. And, and right out of the gate, I loved everything American. I loved it. I, I loved being here, and I went back home to South Africa, and I just dreamed about being back in the States. And, and my friends probably got sick of hearing me talk about America, and everything was America, America, America. And there were a few things that were especially uh, near and dear to me, things that kind of stood out to me. Uh, the first was this, was Disneyland. It definitely made an impression. I had my eighth birthday at Disneyland, and uh, wow, what a day, what a day. I, I, you know, I'd never seen anything like that before. Uh, the other thing that I loved about the U.S. was big rig trucks. Uh, I grew up in a trucking family, and American trucks uh, were just, they just blew my mind, and I just thought they were the coolest thing. We did a lot of traveling on our first trip here to the States, and so we stopped at a lot of road uh, uh, truck stops, and I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. I thought this was the coolest thing ever, and so I love big rig trucks. I loved McDonald's, which we didn't have in South Africa when I was growing up. Um, you know, and I, I probably feel a little bit different about McDonald's today, uh, but back then I thought it was absolutely amazing, and I loved football, American football. You know, it's funny is uh, my in my city in Pretoria there was an American that moved to to South Africa to Pretoria, and and he had this idea that he was going to start kind of this McDonald's knockoff chain, and and he called it McMunch, and. Um, and I remember after coming to the States, and my dad would take me sometimes to McMunch because it's the closest we could get, but it was not nearly as good, right? You know when something you're like, that's all right, but it's not the real thing. Um, and I, was, I just remember as a kid longing for these things that reminded me of the States, of being back in America. So, so there was one day I remember I was flipping through the channel um, in South Africa, you, you, you heard right, I was flipping through, we had one channel, so flipping through the channel just meant turning the TV on and off to see what was on. Uh, I grew up in a, in a time where we had one TV channel and it came on at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and went till about 10.30 and then that was it. That was all the programming we have. This is in the 80s, right? So no cable TV, no multiple channels, um, and then half the shows that we had from the States were dubbed into Afrikaans, and so uh, I didn't realize that some of these people knew how to speak English. It was quite a surprise to me. Well, one day I turn the TV on, and there's an American football game on. I'd never seen that before in South Africa in my life, and I couldn't believe I was getting to watch an American football game on TV. I don't know what teams were playing and why it was being broadcast, but I, all I knew was I, I remember sitting in that chair in our living room, fixated on the TV, watching American football because it made me feel closer to being in the States. But here's the thing about it is I didn't understand anything about the game. Nothing. I'm watching this game, and some people say, well, it's similar to rugby. No, it's not. 
It's not like rugby at all, except for it's played on a rectangular field, and the balls look kind of the same, and then that's about it. There's uprights. That's about it. But I just remember being enthralled with this game, but knowing I didn't know anything about this game. And there was just something about football that caught my attention. And it wasn't until years later, when I moved to America, that, that I started picking up on on the nuances of the game, and, and, and even then, I wasn't, you know, I liked the idea of it, but now I was here, and so there was other things that caught my attention more than football, um, but I was just fascinated with the game. Recently, though, especially as uh, my boys started playing football and getting into it, we, we've become more of a football family, um, and so I really took time to, to learn the game, and uh, Blake and Gavin have sat with me and very patiently walked me through how the game works. And I got to tell you, um, it's, it's an amazing sport, not just because of the entertainment value, but there's a technicality to the game of football and the way that the team works together that's really unlike other, any other sport I know. Um, you know, there's these components on a football team. You say they don't take a football and just get a group of guys together and say, hey, here's the ball, just go out there and just kind of do whatever you think you know, needs to happen and just kind of figure it out as you go. doesn't work that way. Now, watching NFL sometimes, there's some teams that you might think work that way, um, but the reality is, I'm not even going to make any jokes about any football teams today. I'm gonna just, we're going to stay on target um, as hard as that is. Um, you know. Um, there's a coaching staff, right? Not just a coach. There's a coaching, there's a team of coaches. It's amazing to me even watching high school football. Like there's half the people on the sideline are coaches. And they all have these different coaching expertise. Uh, there's an offense and a defense. And there's special teams. And then, and then there's even other stuff that I don't even fully understand. We'll just leave it at this is about where my understanding of the sport ends. But here's what I've learned about football, is that there's no one player that can do it all. There's no one player that can do it all. And if you had to pick the greatest football player in history, which I didn't pick one because, because I know that it's really subjective. So if you're a football player on the count of three, you shout out who you think is the greatest football player of all time, all right? You ready? You got your name? One, two, three. Oh, wow, that was not quite a shout. Hi, good morning. Are you here? I know there's football, football fans in the... Okay, we're going to try that again. All right. One, two, three. All right. That player that you just mentioned can't do it all. They can't do it all. They need to be a part of a team, and then they play in the position with the skill set that they have to accomplish the win. But there's no one player that can do everything. I'm going to share this morning about ministering in team, and I'm going to use a few different analogies. I love analogies. Jesus loved analogies. He talked a lot about in parables and used pictures to illustrate his point. And, and today, I just don't want any of us to miss the picture. So I realize not everyone's a sports person. So we're going to use a, different, a few different analogies to paint a picture of what ministering in team looks like. Um, I want to go back to last week, though. We're going to start talking about the body of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in fact, you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 
And, uh, and you can also open to Ephesians chapter 4. Those are two passages we're going to land in today. Jesus, through the apostle Paul, gives this word to the church about uh, the fact that we're a body, that we're like a body. And let me read this, this passage. It's a, it's a lengthy portion of scripture, but it's an important one for us to understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through 26. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear, um, if the ear, uh, there's a copy and paste issue on my my iPad here. (laughs) This happened last week, and I was trying to figure out what happened. I just found the error. If the ear were to say to the eye that I don't need you, right, where, where would the sense of hearing, uh, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the, the, be the sense of smell? But as, at it, as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. That's really key for us. As he chose, he arranges the members of the body. If we were all a single member, where would... Uh, Where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the foot, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less less honorable, we we bestow the greater honor. And of our unpresentable parts, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty with which, uh, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the body, that, to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. What a great picture. That the church is like, the bo- like a body, And that no part of your body can say to the rest of the body, I'm not as important. And no part of the body can say to another part of the body, I don't need you. That God has fashioned and made us and and created us to function the way that we function with the parts that he's given us. And, And we know when one part's not working, right? When there's a part of our body that's not working both internally and externally, we feel it. We know it. And, and, and quite often it leads to a struggle. It's painful. It limits us and it doesn't allow us to move forward uh, in strength. The body, every part of the body needs the rest of the body. This is the church. This is the church. This is what Jesus' heart for us is. That we would realize that we would get it through our heads because we have a hard time understanding this sometimes that we actually need each other 
And I love that he starts in the place where he's, it's, it's not the, the accusatory place where, oh, we, we just don't need you. It's the person who self-disqualifies and says, I'm not that important. I don't, I don't matter. No one really knows or cares that I'm there. I can, I can show up. I can be a part of it or not. And it doesn't really affect anything. Can I just tell you? It does. You matter. You matter to this church. You matter to the body of Christ. And does that mean you have to go to this church? No, because this body is bigger than this church. But I tell you what, it's so important for us to realize that we need to be connected. That we need to be joined together with each other as the body of Christ. See, I can't have a conversation about team until we understand that this first step is so critical. And it's become too easy in our world and in our culture, in our context, to get busy or to diminish the, the need and the value of being a part of this. And so you matter. You are important. You are a critical part of this body. Let me use another uh, analogy. I want to show you a picture up on the screen. This is the Harmony of the Seas, the Royal Caribbean cruise ship. It is the largest cruise ship in the world. It can accommodate 6,780 passengers, and it has a crew of 2,300 that's mind-blowing. Any cruisers, anyone like cruising, right? Anyone been on a cruise? Anyone hope to go on a cruise sometime, right? And, and most of those people are people who love food. I'm, I'm a foodie. I've never been on a cruise. Get to go on a cruise with my wife in January for our 20th wedding anniversary, and I can't wait for that. Um, but Your expectation when you go on a cruise, because we already we went online and we're checking out them. Now, we're not going on that ship. <laughs> One day. One day. But we're not going on that ship. We're, we're going on princess cruises out of Long Beach, and it's a considerably smaller boat, but still pretty impressive. We've gone online, and we're mapping out where we're going to eat, what we're going to check out, and right, what the entertainment is, and, and, and we're going to go and have a good time. And we've already decided we're, we're going we're to order like breakfast in bed. We're not going to go out to the dining room, right? Because those, those, on that ship, the 2,300 crew, their job is to make sure that the 6,000-plus passengers have a good time that they're well taken care of, that they're pampered, that there's, there's deck chairs available and towels in their room and, and, and the best food on the planet so they can just be served that food, right? Sounds like a lot of fun. Let me show you another ship. This is the USS Ronald Reagan. It's the largest Nimitz carrier aircraft, uh, aircraft carrier in the U.S. fleet and one of the largest warships in the world. The ship's company is, which is, is how many people are on board, is 5,680. 2,300 of those are, are dedicated to the air wing, to the operations of the aircraft that take off and land on that, on that moving airport in the sea. The Nimitz-class aircraft carrier is the force projection instrument used by the U.S. government when there is trouble overseas. We send a carrier group, this ship with all of its support crew, 
and support ships, the frigates and the destroyers that all go together in a carrier group will move into a part of the world, sail to that place, and will establish air superiority over that entire region, one ship. And let me tell you this, on the, on the USS Ronald Reagan, those 5,680 people, do you know how many of those people know exactly why they're there and what they're supposed to do? 5,680. That there is not a single person on that ship that doesn't know what their job is, and when called into action, if they don't do their job, the whole thing can put, be put in jeopardy. Now, there's a captain, and there's an executive officer, right? There's chaplains, there's, uh, there's pilots, but there's also cooks, and there are people who do the laundry. But when that bell sounds, and they are called to battle stations, those people get up, and they go to their station, because most of them are cross-trained, right? So when, when the battle, the, the, the battle um, alarm or, or battle stations is sounded, the, the, the laundry person doesn't go do more laundry. There's a gun somewhere, there's an activity somewhere that they're doing that contributes to that offensive posture or defensive posture, depending on what the circumstances in is. And they step in to action. Can I just tell you, and maybe you've heard this before, the, the, the church of Jesus Christ is not a cruise ship. We're a battleship. This is not a cruise ship. And it's become too easy in our Western culture, in our Western context of church, to have this kind of idea. I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to get fed. Come on. Cruise ship or battleship? That's cruise ship. And, and I'm going to make sure that there are enough programs, and there's enough activity to just appeal to me and my family so that we can uh, make, make sure that we feel good about ourselves and encouraged, but not actually require us to participate in anything because, you know, my life is busy and the church should just really exist to serve me. That is a cruise ship mentality. What Jesus is calling the church of Jesus, what Jesus is calling his church to be is a battleship that has been deployed into enemy, enemy territory to establish air superiority, spiritual superiority, to drive back darkness, to stand against the forces of evil that would seek to destroy people's lives. And here's the amazing thing. It's not just that ship, but their aircraft on that ship. There's the AWAC, right? The, the, the aircraft that flies up above that has the big radar dish on its roof. And, it's, and it establishes this radar coverage so that the fighter jets can then take off. But before the fighter jets take off, the, uh, the, the, the helicopters take off first so that they're ready in case one of those jets has to go into the ocean so they can recover that pilot. And there are other planes that come into play, the planes that, 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 that resupply the ship. And then there's ships that, that, that supply this vessel with fuel and with food. Because you imagine eating, I mean, feeding 5,680 sailors when they're on deployment. And then there's frigates that, that are fast ships. And the frigates are small and nimble. 
And so if there's a threat that's coming towards this big lumbering aircraft carrier, they send those frigates out, and they'll head out, and there's submarines that come along with it. I love this stuff, by the way. Hunt for Red October is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> I get more excited about this than I do football. All working together, and listen, they don't all stay in the same place. The church of Jesus Christ is a battleship. It's like an aircraft carrier where we come together, we resupply on a Sunday morning, we get ready, we get built up, and then we deploy and we go out into the world. And we do some damage against the forces of darkness and shine the light of Jesus so that people can come to know him. And every single person... I'm talking to every single one of you needs to know what your part is in that battleship. Every single one. And we have to make a shift in our paradigm and our thinking about the, what the church is. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says this, And he, Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ. I want to ask you a question this morning. How many full-time ministers do we have in the church today? How many are here? Okay. Put your hands down. I'm going to, I'm going to, it was a trick question. Everyone raise your hand. Just everyone raise your hand. That's how many full-time ministers we have. Now, I'm a pastor. I'm a shepherd. And he identifies here, Paul identifies the five-fold ministry, right? Apostles, shepherds, teachers, evangelists. And, uh, and the one that I missed, what did I miss? Uh, pastors, okay, shepherds, all right, I got it out of order. Apostles, uh, pastors, evangelists, uh, teachers, and I did it again, that's all right. We're not going to get hung up on that. The five-fold ministry, those five roles exist to equip the saints, that's you, for the work of the ministry. What we've done in the modern context is said, the apostles, right? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers are supposed to do the work of the ministry and that you all play a supporting role. And that is not God's heart for his church. My job is to equip you because you are a full-time minister in your community, in your context, in your home, in your workplace, wherever you go, God has said, you are a full-time minister. Now, you might get a paycheck from being a salesman. You might get a paycheck from being a teacher. You might get a paycheck from working at Starbucks as a barista. But you, your calling is to be a full-time minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every part, every person, knowing what their role is. See, at Thrive Church, we don't have volunteers. No volunteers here. We have team members. I never want to be in a place where this statement will come out from this pulpit, from any ministry leader. We just need more volunteers. Mm -mm. So I'm not desperate for just any, anyone to fill a role. What we're looking for are the right team members to be in the right position so that we can be effective as a church, in driving back darkness. Pastor Wayne Cadero, who wrote a book calling, called Doing Church as a Team, has been a major influence in my life, a major shaper of my church theology and church culture. 
my philosophy of ministry. He makes this statement. Doing church, isn't, uh, doing church as a team isn't one person doing a hundred things. It's a hundred people doing one thing each. Each doing what they do best. Not only is this possible, but it is how God created us. That the church isn't one person doing a hundred things. You've probably been to that church. You've seen that. Maybe you thought that about me. I've thought that about myself at times. But that's not my, the reality I want to live in. What I want to see is a church that is thriving because every person is functioning in the way that God created them. It's not one person doing a hundred things. It's a hundred people doing the thing that God created them to do. And, and church, unless we have lay a hold of that and start working that into our DNA and our, into our culture, we're going to struggle. Church is just going to be hard work. And it's not meant to be. It's not meant to be. That doesn't mean that there isn't hard work involved, but it's not meant to be a grind. All right. Ministering in team. What does this look like at Thrive Church? First thing is this. That's all the setup to say this. First of all, First and foremost, ministering team builds community. It's what we talked about last Sunday, but they overlap. They overlap really well and very intentionally, by the way. Ministering and team builds community. See, team is one of the easiest ways and one of the best ways to live in community. When you're serving with people, you're shoulder to shoulder, you're getting to know each other. You're probably serving with people that even have a similar gifting and a similar personality, which makes it easier to connect. So team and working as a part of a team is one of the best ways. See, serving together builds friendship, camaraderie, and accountability. And as those things are built, community happens. In fact, the idea that we would build community is, is kind of backwards. What we do is we build friendships, and we build camaraderie, and we build accountability, and what we end up with is community. People who don't live in proximity, as I said last week, but who live together, doing life communally together. Ephesians 4, 9 through 12 says this. To, uh, sorry, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. Two are better than one. You heard that in our, in our statement earlier. Because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. The writer of Ecclesiastes painting a picture here of what teamwork looks like. Two are better than one. We come together and work together. You've experienced this. I know everyone in this room has experienced this, where you're doing something alone, and someone comes alongside and says, hey, can, can I work with you? Can I help you out? And it doesn't just make the job easier. It actually makes it more enjoyable, because we're created for relationships. We're created for relationship, and so it joins us together and makes sure that we're, we're, we're relating to each other as we're working. 
and can actually make the job seem easier. And it's not just that you even get a good reward. You actually get a better return. There's an exponential component to it that two people can accomplish a lot more than one person or two individuals can on their own. And even beyond that, I love reading about one per, two people can keep each other warm, but that one person, it's one that we don't really understand in our context, especially in Southern California in the middle of November when it's 90 degrees out. Um, but we lived in Alaska for a few years, and we got this. We understood this a lot more. There's a whole lot more cuddling that happens because you're going, I just cold and you're warm. Two people can stay warm together, which in the right situation can save a life. This is not just about comfort. This is about utility. If you're out in the forest, they say, right, you get close to each other, spend the night in a forest, you're going to spend the night close so that you can stay warm and not die. Someone attacks you, too, can drive that attacker back better than one person. And then the writer goes on to say, threefold cord. And the idea is, if one is, is two is better than one, right, then three is even better than two, and so on and so forth. This is a picture for us, a biblical picture of what team is. Jesus did this. See, Jesus took an eclectic, ragtag, mismatched group of guys and he built a team that would ultimately change the world. He built a team because of their hard work and their dedication and their community that they built. We, literally, we are here today because of them. Their decision to serve Jesus and work as a team resulted in us being here today. And if we were able to, if we could see that full picture, we could trace it all the way back and say it was because of this person and that person and the influence that they had. And, and here's the thing about them. Together they faced incredible persecution, persecution we can't even imagine. In fact, all of those disciples, all of those disciples except for John gave their lives, ultimately gave their lives and were martyred because of their faith. How do you take a mismatched, kind of messy group of guys, fishermen and tax collectors and doctors, and man, they, they, they were volatile, they were selfish, they didn't have it all together, talked out of turn, got jealous of each other, right? Two of them, their mom actually comes to Jesus and says, hey, my boys are the best and you need to promote them above everyone else. Their mom, come on. And they become this superstar dream team. It says of David in 1 Samuel 22 that he's hiding out in a cave and this group of guys come to him. He has already been anointed king, but there was a gap between when he was anointed king and he actually ascended to the throne. And during that time, Saul was trying to kill him. And so he's hiding out in a cave. Talked about this a lot. I love this story. And this group of guys shows up, 400 of them. And it says that they were discouraged and downcast or depressed, and in debt. And they come to him and say, hey, would you be our leader? <laughs> no. No, because I actually asked the Lord for an army, and he sent me you, so I'm, I'm good. I'll pass. 
It says that he became their leader and, and, and led them into battle, and they became a mighty fighting force. That David's mighty men came out of that group. See, God is in the business of taking people who feel like they don't belong and don't have a future and don't fit and are opinionated and talk out of turn and actually have hurt and pain in their lives and sometimes things are just kind of messed up. Oh, by the way, and if you have debt, it's okay. Jesus can deal with that. And if you're feeling kind of down and depressed, it doesn't disqualify you. In fact, it might qualify you even more because he goes, well, I can do something in you that, that outshines anything that could really happen in your own strength. And he pulls us together and he says, now you're going to be my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against you. Do you hear what I just said? The gates of hell will not prevail against you. That's for someone this morning who's thinking that the enemy is winning. He's not winning. The gates of hell will not prevail against you. So men, ministering a team is about community. The next thing is this. Ministering in team cultivates culture. It cultivates culture. And those two words are very tied together, almost the same word. But, but the idea of cultivating and, and producing something and tending to something that needs to grow and, and, and needs to be shaped. You're cultivating a tree or, or a bush. You're going to make sure that it's shaped the right way. It's one of the things I, I like at Disneyland, a, a small world. I actually enjoy that ride, right? And, and then they have the, the topiary bushes that are all like animals, right? Those have been cultivated. They've been grown to, to look that way and shape that way. Why? To create a culture that says, hey, this is, this is it's a small world. I, I have over here... Well, what is this? What is this thing? It's a tree, right? It's a what kind of tree? It's a ficus, but it's not actually. It's a ficus. It's not a ficus. It's a ficus. I, I actually I have a, a bit of a disdain for fake foliage. Um, I, 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 right? They're just they look like the real thing. But they're not the real thing, because because a, a, a real tree doesn't smell like nothing, right? And and what's actually even sadder about this is that part of it used to be a real tree, and now it's not. It looks like a tree. It has all the components. It has all of the pieces. It resembles the real thing. See, when I say that team and ministering in team creates culture, what I'm saying is is that we actually become something that, as the Bible says, that we give off the fragrance of Jesus Christ. I love cutting my grass because I just love that smell. It's one of the reasons I'll never have fake grass because you can't mow it and it doesn't smell like freshly cut grass and all of the reasons to do it, I get it. But just not for me, because I love the, the real thing. See, the church is not a fakest tree. See, some would say, well, church is an organization, and it's not. It's not an organization. Churches are more like living organisms. Churches are a lot more like orga or living organisms. They have some similarities. Both require structure. Both require direction and measurable objectives and leadership. When you look at this tree, it has a trunk, 
It has branches. It has leaves. It has the structure of a tree. It's an organization. What it's missing is the life. And, and in so many ways, we bring organizational models into the church and say the church should be structured this way. And while it looks good from far, when you get close, you realize there's no life. Maybe you've been to that church. It's usually the church where there's people all around and you can come in as a visitor and not a single person acknowledges that you exist. It's a fakus. It's an organization. And we get really good at doing stuff and we miss people and we have no culture. Why am I speaking about values? Because these values will shape our culture as a church. I can't just say, hey, we're Thrive Church, by the way, now let's just do what kind of comes next. Figure it out as we go. Not at all. That Thrive Church was birthed out of God's heart and His desire for our church to have a culture and an identity that was unique to us within the body of Christ so that we can reach our community. Because this is not about entertainment. This is not about you feeling more comfortable, even though we got new chairs. But that's not the goal of even the new chairs. Our goal as a battleship is to drive back the forces of darkness and to reach the people who need Jesus, the marriages that are falling apart, the parents who, who are at odds with their children, the people who make these declarations, there is no God or God doesn't love me. We're called to reach them because if we don't, who will? And a fakest tree will not accomplish those goals. Yes, we need structure. Yes, we need direction. Yes, we need measurable objectives. Yes, we need leadership. But we also need to recognize that as a living organism, we have things like emotions, changes. Change happens, right? This tree will look exactly like that next week and next year. And until I throw it in the trash can, right, and it gets crushed at the dump, it's going to look just like this. Now, if you have a real ficus tree, you know that next week there's going to be new leaves. And next year there's going to be new branches. And it's going to grow. And it's not going to look the same. There's going to be natural growth that takes place. It's also subject to disease and accidents and predators and sickness. And the church is a living organism. We recognize that we're not impermeable. There's a lot of passages that talk about warning to the church, don't let people in, don't let false teaching in rather, and don't let people, and don't give place to people who don't honor me, don't give them a voice in the church because they'll do damage. It's called wolves, right, in the pasture, and there's very clear direction about that, and sickness, it's where we talked about unity, because disunity is a disease in the church, and it's rampant, it's terminal in some places. We have to recognize that as ministers in team, we get to cultivate and care for the culture of our church. And while we can adapt parts of organizational leadership into the church, we can never forget that it's about people. It's about people. I want to show you a picture. You're going to hear more about this, this term. It's, it's called fractal leadership. This is a fractal. Fractal is simply a repeating pattern or a structure that exists in nature, if you've ever seen a fern, the leaves on a fern uh, are fractal. 
in that when you drill down or you look closer, that the smaller pieces look like the whole. We're adopting as a church a, a, a way of building teams called fractal teams. There's a lot of different ways that you can build teams and a lot of leadership and, 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 and organizational models that you can use and different things work for different people and different churches. But, but here's the thing, our, our, our name is Thrive and we've adopted this, this growing, cultivating, uh, maturing picture of, you know, like even our logo looks a little bit like a tree, something that's, that's growing organically. And so we, we're adopting a leadership and team building model that, that falls in line with this. I don't have time to unpack it now, but you're going to hear more about this. But, but, but here's the, the, the goal here, is that the, the, the parts look like the whole. It means that our vision and our, our DNA as a church, our mission and our values are expressed in every team, whether it's hospitality or children's or the parking lot team, which we don't even have yet, but we're going to need them soon. The greeters, the worship team, that who we are as a church, even though that the function is different, the role is different, that the DNA and the value and the culture of who we are is evident. And so this is something you'll hear more about down the road. The third thing is this. We, as a, as, as a church, as we ministry and team, we see potential release. So ministering and team releases potential. It builds community, cultivates culture, releases potential. Every one of you has potential. Every one of you. Whether you recognize it or not, you have potential. In fact, you probably have more potential than you realize. And, and here's the other thing. Everybody dies with untapped potential. Everyone who's ever lived goes to the grave with potential that was never realized and released in their lives. Our goal as Christ followers should, should be to release and tap into as much of the potential that is, is hidden inside of us as possible. But one of the things that I know from growing up in church and going to Bible college and being in full-time ministry as a pastor, because you're all in full-time ministry, is this, that there's so many people who say, I feel like there's things that God's called me to do and I don't know how or where I can do those things. And so we sit. And so that the idea that, that for some people that the, the, the ship is a cruise ship is not because they want to be on a cruise ship. It's like, how do I get in and, and be a part of this? We want to make it as easy as possible in this church for you to tap into the potential that God has given you. And teams are the perfect place to do that. We have to break through and break free from our limitations. Things that have been said to us and about us about what we can and cannot do, damaging things, hurtful things, things that, that, that go like this, well, you'll never amount to, you'll never be able to, with those grades, right? You'll never be able to do that. And it's the reason that we love movies like Rudy, the underdog movie, right? Someone who shouldn't be able to do something and they do it because it appeals to something inside of us that says, I want to break free and break through those limitations. Things that you've come to believe, maybe even about yourself, things that you've said to yourself, things that have been birthed out of lies and hurt and pain and fear. Philippians 3, 12 through 14 says this, Paul writing, not that I've already attained, obtained this 
or am already perfect. Any perfect people here today? Good, just, just checking. None of us, right? No perfect people here. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider, my, uh, consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for, uh, goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. It is a mouthful of words. But Paul basically saying this, it doesn't matter where I've come from. And he came from a lot of mess. There was a lot of limitations. And Paul said, listen, I've been running this race, and I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I'm getting closer, but I'm not there yet. We would look at Paul, who wrote half of the New Testament, and say, well, that guy was amazing. And Paul's own description of himself is, I'm not there yet, but I'm pressing on. There was a sense of, I'm not giving up, I'm going for it. Church team becomes a place where that potential inside of you can be called out. Wayne Cadero, and we're going to adopt this in our church, uses the acronym DESIGN to help tap into that a little bit. Again, some of this I'm just kind of touching on real quickly because we're going to have extended conversations about this in other arenas, in leadership development and in our team training. DESIGN stands for this, desire, experience, spiritual gifts, individual style, growth phase, and natural abilities. Every one of us has been designed by God for the purpose and the role and the call that He has on our lives. Desire. What is your passion? What are you passionate about? Everyone's passionate about something. And it's very likely that you might be, passion, might be passionate about something that I just don't give a rip about. And that's okay. In fact, that's more than okay. It's necessary. Because if we were all passionate about the same thing, the world would be so bland. What's your passion? What's life-giving for you? What do you dream about? What is the thing that, that you've hoped to do, that you want to do, you've never told a living soul? Yeah, that thing. It's time to share that. Boy, if I tell someone, then, yeah, then accountability happens, right? And we go back to that first part. Why, if I just keep it quiet? No, that's fear. That's a limitation we need to break through. Next is uh, experience. Your experience shapes your values. As we're talking about our values that are, as, our, as a church, a lot of these values are flowing from my experience because I'm the pastor of this church and because of so much of my personality and my leadership style influences who we are. And, and, and don't hear me wrong, I always go back to the Lord and I'm accountable to our, our leadership and to our, our, our church um, council and I'm accountable to Foursquare. But one of the things I love about the Foursquare denomination is that senior pastors, they recognize that senior pastors and the leadership team at a ch particular church will actually influence that culture. And so a lot of these values come from my experience. You have values in your life that you might not even realize because of your experience, both good and bad. If you've ever done things like this, I will never be like or I will never do that is a value statement that's tied to some experience in your life, and your experience is important. It's important not just to you, but it's important to our church. 
Because there might be something in your experience that you bring into a team and say, listen, here's something that's important to me because I walk through this. And other people in the church and in your team might go, I've never thought about that. Which maybe there's a sensitivity about an aspect of church life that I'm ignorant to because I've never walked in your shoes. And so you bring that to the table. This is just practically how this plays out. Hey, in my experience, I had this experience once. Hey, we're going to make sure that no one else has that experience so that someone can walk into this church for the very first time and we've done the work of saying, hey, we've come together and collaborated to make sure that that person is safe. I can't do that all, and neither can you, but it comes, it's us bringing that experience together. The next is this, spiritual gifts. This one's huge, and I am going to give it a total disservice by going quickly, and we will spend more time about talking about spiritual gifts, but every believer in Jesus Christ is given one or more spiritual gifts, gifts that are designed to minister to the body Gifts that are designed to encourage the body, to build up the body so that we can be effective in reaching the world. They're described, of course, in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. And notice that two of the passages I reference are two of the passages that we're in today. The, 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 the whole section right before the body of Christ in Romans 12, I mean, 1 Corinthians 12, is all the spiritual gifts. These things tie together. These gifts exist for you to be able to carry on the work that Jesus started until he returns. That's why we have spiritual gifts, by the way. You don't have spiritual gifts so that you can compare with someone else and go, hey, check it out. This is what I have. What do you have? They're not trading cards, right? Badges of honor. They're practical so that we can continue the work. They're powerful, but only when used in sync with the gifts of other people. Because there's accountability, there's safety. I've grown up in churches, I've been a part of churches where their spiritual gifts were kind of out of control because some people kind of ran with their giftings and other giftings were denied. And it feels kind of, well, it feels weird. Can you just be honest? When you think about DNA, right? When, when, when DNA goes rogue, we get things that are called mutant. And so the DNA has to be intact, especially in, in, in regards to spiritual gifts, so that we can come together as the body and be effective. Your spiritual gifts, the gifts that God has given you, are super important. Your individual style, I, you have a personality that might be news to you, but you do. Um, you have personality, you have a temperament. Maybe you've done like the, one of the, the Myers-Briggs or one of those, those tests that helps you understand who you are. Some people are extroverts, some people are introverts. Guess what I am? Yeah, right. I'm such an introvert. Um, some people are task-oriented and other people would rather spend time at Starbucks having a cup of coffee and just talking. That's me again. Um, some people are linear. And some people are just ever-expanding circles of creativity, right? And I'm just like, let's just, let's just get focused here. But, oh, we can, no, 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 the, the, right? Our temperament is a part of who we are, and it's an important part of who we are. See, it's your, your individual style and who you are adds flavor, adds character, adds dimension to the body of Christ and complements 
right? And it's not just simply the things that you're good at, right? Because there's things that I have to do. I can't just always sit at Starbucks and drink coffee with people. There's things that I have to do that I'm like, I'm disciplined in doing. So it's not just laziness or sloth, but it's, it's disciplining yourself. But naturally, there's just going to be things that are part of your style and in you, who you are as an individual. Your growth phase, the G, where you are in your journey with Christ. See, a baby grows at different phases, right? We understand this. You start as an infant, then you can't do anything for yourself, and then become a toddler, and the noise level increases, and then, you know, there's things like crawling, and then you have to baby-proof your house, and then there's, you know, and then there's adolescents and teenagers, and now that child that was, you know, pooping their diaper is now driving the car, and you're wondering how it happened so quickly. We understand growth phases, right? Every one of us as followers of Jesus Christ are at a different point in our growth a different point in our maturity, and it would be irresponsible for me as a pastor to take someone who's maybe not as mature in an aspect of their leadership in their walk with the Lord and put them into a place where they're caring for other people who need that maturity. And so it doesn't mean you're disqualified. It means, hey, we're going to help you mature and grow. We're going to just recognize the phase that you're in and then care for you there and help you in that growth phase. That makes sense, right? Yeah. 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 It's usually the place where people get their feelings hurt, by the way. What do you mean I can't do that? Which in and of itself is an indicator that you're probably not ready. Because right. <laughs> right. the Bible says that we serve as Jesus did in humility, right? We come to, to surrender our lives, not make our stand and throw a fit. And so our growth phase is important in our natural abilities. What comes easy to you? What do you excel at? See, when we work within God's design for our lives, this, this, this actually gets to be fun and enjoyable and, and life-giving, not draining and taxing. I love the movie The Incredibles. Right, and that, that moment where Mr. Incredible's coming home from work, and, and I love even how visually Pixar depicted it. He goes to a drab gray office in a light blue drab little car, and he's just walking around, just, oh, oh, this is just, and he can't get anything done, and even the injustices, because he's Mr. Incredible, so injustice is his thing. And when there's an injustice, he gets shut down. Just do your job. Sign the paperwork, right? Don't let the client or the, the customer get their way. You just, you're the, that barrier. And, you know, he comes home just depressed until that moment when the phone call comes. And you'll notice in that movie how the color starts coming back into the movie. And the life starts coming back into the movie. Some of us are eking out dreary existences because we're not doing the thing that God called us to. And God wants to reintroduce the color and the fun and the enjoyment back into our role in serving Him. Doesn't that sound good? Father, I pray that even now you would release that in people's lives. Two very last, quick last things. Ministering in team maximizes effectiveness. You've heard the acronym team. Together, everyone, come on, anyone know it? Achieves more, accomplishes more. 
Together, everyone accomplishes more. Again, Ecclesiastes 4, which we read before, two are better than one because they have a better return, a better return on their investment, a better return on their work, that you accomplish more together. And not just because there's two people, but because together they collaborate and can actually come up with better ways of doing things, more effective ways of doing things, yeah, there's ways of doing ministry and doing church that haven't been thought of yet. Let that sink in for a second. There's ways of doing church and doing ministry that have not been tapped into or realized yet. You know why? Because they're lying dormant inside of you. And until you have a voice as a part of a team where you can speak up and say, you know what, there's a better way. We can be more effective. It's not going to be realized. You are a critical part. I mentioned earlier organizational leadership. One of the studies that they've done is this, that what we often call teams are not actually teams. They're just groups of people. A group is this. People are assigned to do a task. Hey, you five people over there, uh, here's what you need to just go do this thing and let us know when it's done. That's not a team. That's a group. See, because there's no ownership, no input, and no creativity. Here's the tools. There's the job. Now just go do it. Most people's work environment sounds like that. And those organizations and those companies don't do well. Teams, though, teams invite ownership, ideas, creativity, and feedback. Effective teams get stuff done and get stuff done in ways that no one could have imagined. I say that because this is so important for us to understand. When I say that we minister in team, what I'm not saying is, hey, we're going to just tell you what to do. We're going to invite you to be a part of a culture, a team culture where your voice matters, where you get to contribute and say, hey, I've got some ideas. Now, now we've all been a part of brainstorming sessions. We all know that not every idea is always used because that would just be chaos. But that's where the team gets to vet those things out and own it. And when a team comes together and says, hey, we're going to do it this way, and we figured it out, as a leader, I can say, go for it. And I feel like, a, oh, that's great. I don't have to do it, and they're going to do it way better than I could have ever done it. That's leadership. And that every team, then, because we're fractal, and we're talking about fractal, every team, as you grow grows into another team. Really, it's like the football analogy. You know, um, as I've been watching my son play football, over on the left side of the field, there's a, there's a kid named Gabriel, and I know his name because he came over to our house the other night. He's the kicker. And while the whole team's on the sideline, Gabriel's on the, over by himself with a net, just kicking the ball. Over and over and over again. And at halftime, the whole team goes out, and then Gabriel comes out early from the, side, from, the, the, uh, from the locker room, and he starts kicking the ball. And he just spends the whole time kicking the ball so that a few times he can get called into the game to go kick the ball. And, and here's the thing is, is Gabriel, um, Gabriel actually has a coach who works with him. There's, there's a kicking coach. And I'm like, this is one kid. But I know there were some games that, that, that happened yesterday. There were some upsets, right? Second third, second, third, and fourth seed college teams that were upset, that were beaten. And one of those teams 
I, I forget, Blake mentioned to me in passing, I don't remember who it was, you probably know, you're probably still hurting over this, but one team lost the game because a field goal was kicked, right? Two, two teams, thanks Blake, two teams yesterday, were the, the, those teams upset, do you think those teams that upset that second, third, fourth te- seeded team loved their kicker today? Yeah, they do. But like just on the Glendora High School football team, those kickers are off by themselves just kicking the ball, right? And they're not even allowed to get tackled, right? But they're such an important part of the team because if they're missing, they might not win the game. And they have a coach, and then in the long snapper, in fact, those two positions, kicker and long snapper, right? Two of the, two of the roles that you'd say, well, they seem kind of unimportant until they win the game, so key, teams, this place for collaboration and coming together and working together, that the kicker and the long snapper and the person who holds the ball, right, they all need to work together so this can be done better. And they're going to they're gonna develop strategy and watch film and say, hey, we're going to play that team and their defense runs this particular pattern, which means we need a block on that side so that the kicker can do his job more effectively. That's team. That's ownership, that's collaboration, that's saying, hey, how can we do this better together? And then the last thing is this, and we'll close. Ministry and team prepares us for growth. It prepares us for growth. See, all of these things I've talked about help us now in our current state, both personally, corporately, and for the kingdom. There are needs that just exist right now that God's saying, I'm releasing your gifts to minister to those areas of need. But here's the truth. If we're a battleship, not a cruise ship, we're never going to be at a place where we're content saying, hey, God, we're good with the people we got. Could you just not bring us anyone else? That, that will never be my prayer. And if that's your prayer, please stop. Because we're a battleship and we're supposed to take back ground. And that ground is not physical territory. Those are lives. Those are lives. And so we need to be prepared for growth. But you see, the thing is, right now we can only minister to a number, certain number of kids. Because our team needs to be built. We can only minister to a certain number of people because our hospitality team needs to grow and our, our, our ushering team needs to go grow and our worship team, the ushering team does not need to go, they need to grow. <laughs> our worship team needs to grow and we have an amazing worship team. They do a great job today, Maria. Oh my goodness. And here's the thing. I'm so sorry to put you on the spot. But I know there's been work that's been invested for her to lead that song today. A lot of work. You pulled in the parking lot this morning. I heard you warming up your voice and you were, right? It's the stuff that happens behind the scenes as people grow. Why? So we can display the gospel of Jesus Christ in in such a way as as a church from the moment that people engage us, not in the parking lot, but in your workplace and in your neighborhood, Right? They go, there's something about you. I want to be a part of that. I've said this before. God will not entrust us with more people than we can effectively care for. God will not entrust us with more people than we can effectively care for. Why? Because he loves them too much. 
And I can't do it on my own. And our leadership team can't do it on their own. You are such a critical part. I want to invite you. I want to invite you to start praying and asking the Lord, God, where is it that you're calling me to engage? What is my part? What is my role? If you're thoroughly confused about it and just have no idea, you know what? Connect with me after service and let's go grab coffee at Starbucks because I like to do that. And part of my gifting is to help people walk through understanding what their gifting is. And there's others in this church who will walk that journey with you. We're going to get better as a church in helping to develop leaders, identify calling, have conversations about spiritual gifts, all of these things. Why? So that more people can function in their gifting so we can reach more. Amen? Let's stand together. I'm going to invite the worship team to come in just a minute. Our ushers are going to come and pass the baskets to receive the tithes and offerings, but also the connect cards. If, uh, if you had a, an opportunity to fill one of those out, please drop that in the basket as it comes by. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for the church. Jesus, you could have reached the world a different way. You could have chosen someone else or something else some other method, but you chose us. You chose us to be that representation of your love in a world that so desperately needs to be loved. And so I pray for everyone from young to old, male, female, college student to retiree, God, that we rec would recognize that we are called to be a part of an amazing team called the Church of Jesus Christ. And that our part is critical, no matter how small or insignificant we may think it is, that what we bring matters, because you say it matters. And I pray, Lord, as a church, as we continue to grow, as we continue to see gifts released, as we see more people functioning and moving in their area of gifting, God, that that there would be numbers that are added to our gathering. Not because we're so clever, but because you're so big and that you move through us. Help us to be ready, Lord. Help us to be ready to receive well those who you would want to bring into your kingdom and into your church. In Jesus' name, amen.